there was a meeting that I was not part of, and apparently the wisdom imparted to one of my teammates at work was, what would Ryan do? <laughs> well, that's a while compliment. I, it is, and while I appreciate the sentiment, part of me wants to answer that with, please, God, aim higher. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, just, you know, have faith, Ryan, have faith. I, I mean, really, I'll take it because <laughs> at least it's being said in a positive light um, as opposed to other places. So exactly. it's, it's been a great week all around and that was just one great part of it. So I will I will take that just still bemused and shaking my head at the whole thing. Welcome <laughs> back to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 280 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Today's guest is someone near and dear to the show and my own heart. In the six years since we met, she's been a wonderful companion for everything from late-inning Blue Jay rallies to attempts at making Brussels sprouts yummy. One of the... <laughs> One of those I think I failed in that for you. I'm so one sorry. One of those things was successful. I will let you <laughs> guess which one. There have been film festivals, there have been concerts, there have been superheroes, and there has been a lot of drinking. It's been an amazing journey for me and today's guest, one that has taken us to new jobs, new homes, new friends, and of course, new movies. It has been far, far too long since we have sat down and done a full episode, but hey, that ends today. She is a contributing writer at Live for Film. Hillary Butler is here. How are you, Hillary Butler? I'm not happy with the weather situation. I know. Besides from that, it was a day off, so I'll take it. I mean, welcome to March in Toronto. You're not new here. This is what March Madness is for Torontonians. Correct. Is what are you going to get today? It's, Could be 16 it's, degrees. Yeah. It'd be yeah. putting your boots back on. Love yeah. it. Don't 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 put the <laughs> scarves away. Not quite yet. Maybe not take them out every time. <laughs> there we go. On episode 280, we will be discussing Cyrano. We will be flipping the record over to play the other side, but first we need to learn more about Hillary. This is Know Your Enemy. So Hillary is a four-time guest but she's going to be answering the third round of questions, and that is completely 110% on me. Hillary first arrived on episode 146. We talked about Room. We learned that the first film she ever saw in a theater was The Magic Flute. The last film she'd seen at the time was Suffragette. The worst film she's ever seen is Brian De Palma's Passion. The unseen classic or essential is The Silence of the Lambs. And the film she wished she made is The Martian. Hillary returned on episode 184. We talked about Wind River, and we learned that the film... Everybody else hates that she digs is Cloud Atlas. The film everybody else likes that she doesn't is Under the Skin. The last film at the time to make her cry is Age of Adeline. In the movie of her life, she would be played by Emma Stone. And the movie she was watching next is Personal Shopper. Then for the fourth round of questions on Hillary's third appearance, episode 218, we talked about Captain Marvel because of course we did. We learned the film that she really digs but she never wants to watch again is The Hunt. The film that genuinely freaked her out is Edward Scissorhands. The movie that always makes her laugh is Austin Powers. Her favorite movie soundtrack is Garden State. And the movie she loves but seemingly nobody else has heard of is Stella Meggie's the weekend. So it is time for round three, technically round four. Hillary <laughs> Butler, interpret this question any way you wish. 
What is the film that made your love of film turn a corner? Yeah, so for, for this, I actually went back to my, my tween years uh, and chose Jurassic Park. Um, Interesting. It was, it was the first movie that I saw at a theater without a parent. I still don't know how I got in because I actually would have still been underage to watch the movie at the time. I think it was double A rated and I would have been probably just 12 when it came out turning 13. But anyways, for part of that, we're overstating how vigilant (laughs) the average movie usher and or ticket taker actually is, especially at the Scarborough theater that I would have have been at. So you um, you buried the lead. You should have started with that. (laughs) So, but I can distinctly remember this as, the first time I was at the theater with just a friend and how immersed I was in this film and still am. I mean, this film still holds up like, which oh, yeah. when you think about the fact that it was done in what 93, mm-hmm. that is absolutely nuts to me is that the special effects in that movie are still very good, mostly because they weren't a lot of CGI. They built a lot of these things, which to me is still amazing. So the magic of that movie making process really kind of set a fire in me something that just wanted to see more of it i remember i remember seeing that in a very very full house um anybody who is listening to this show who's from the west side of toronto that may remember the humber theater um that's where i saw that movie in a in a just a packed because i mean it was and that, that was that was the thing that was always and, and remains so much fun is when you can when you can go see something in a packed house and have that energy, regardless of what you're seeing, like when everybody's there for a common purpose, it's just, it's so exciting. There's nothing Mm -hmm. like it. It's like a rock concert, but with story. It's, it's interesting that you say that one though. Um, I guess because what you're saying is the experience became something different. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily the story, but the actual activity and you know, how it, how much more fun it got becoming your thing. No, I I don't want to take away like the power of the movie itself, because that was obviously, again, something that still resonates with with me. I mean, I was totally immersed in this film. Mm -hmm. And again, it was one of the first times I can remember being like completely engrossed in a movie. Also remember being the only one in the theater that laughed when the dude got eaten off the toilet. (laughs) Only one. So I do remember being slightly embarrassed at my apparently inappropriate sense of humor, but it really made me interested in the whole like process of film and yeah, just made me want to go to the theater more. I mean, my parents took me to the theater quite a bit when I was a kid, but it was all like little kid movies. That was, I feel like one of the first grown up movies I saw besides from maybe Jaws when I saw that much too young. Um, but when I watched Jurassic Park, I was like, wow, this is like an adult film and this is what I want to watch. Very cool. I like it. Hillary Butler, what was your first date movie? My first like date movie that I can remember is actually even with my current partner, but back in university, okay. which was Zoolander. Um, oh, God. <laughs> um, which is kind of, you know, why am I friends with you both? We're like, what, what is, what? Hey, it was 2001. We went to the Guelph mall because that was where we were going to school. And that was the only cinema that was not the very infamous three star cinema in Guelph, which if you didn't want to sit on duct tape, you didn't go to. So we went to the Guelph mall and that was like one of our first dates was, yeah, 
Zoolander. Seeing Zoolander. And okay, so now here's here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> were you, was any part of you like seeing if you were laughing at the same stuff or were you laughing at the same stuff? We do now. Uh, awesome. I don't know if, yeah, I mean, we've still, we still occasionally watch this movie <laughs> out of posterity. I mean, come on. Ben Stiller back then was prime, prime comedy. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we, we both do have pretty much the same sense of humor, but I was probably too nervous to even like pay attention to what was happening. You've just kind of tapped on something that we we haven't really talked about on this show, which is like, I, I asked this question, like looking for a story. I've, I've had all sorts of things where it's like, um, you know, so one, one date, you know, the, the couple uh, could not believe how terrible it was. And they were talking about it for like an hour over dinner. I, I always forget that some, and I don't know why I forget this. I really shouldn't. That sometimes the date is just something to do to, to, you know, get the other person one-on-one and, and make that connection. Um, that it's, it's really not about the movie at yeah, all. It's which more which would have been in this case. I mean, this, this date would have been a long time coming. Cause like we would have known each other for quite a while at that stage. As lab partners only, though. <laughs> How long had you known each other at that time? Uh, since the year before, because we were in biochemistry lab. Okay. Yeah, huh. biochemistry huh. lab when we met. Well, the seat I mean, beside me was the last one left because Mike's usually late. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Well, um, hey, listen, it worked out. The date worked out. You had fun, even if you couldn't laugh that much because you were nervous. That's uh, that's pretty good. I like it. On the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, Hillary Butler, what is your sick day movie? So this is a hard one for me to answer because I've said this before, but I don't rewatch movies very often. There is, I would rather right. watch whatever is next in my queue, even if I am sick then rewatch a bunch of films. But since you're forcing me to choose something that I would put on, a comfort film for me would actually be La La Land. I love... You know, I kind of figured that's where you were going with this. <laughs> I love the music. You know, it's one of those films that like brought me joy from the very first like opening sequence, uh, which is sure. incredible. Um, yeah. I remember seeing it at TIFF in the Elgin Theater, which mm-hmm. is where I saw it for the first time. And that opening sequence like actually brought a tear to my eye, which is very rare. Cause I was just like, this is just what I wanted it to be. Right, right. <laughs> it's like grandiose, like Hollywood style, big film. Um, but it still has its intimate and cozy moments. And like, if you're feeling sick, that's what you want. You want something that feels like a familiar warm hug. And that's what that movie is to me. The, uh, you know, we, we've talked on this show about talky movies, like movies where, where there's a lot of dialogue being the sick day movie. We've talked about like adventure films being the sick day movie and kind of the Princess Bride sort of way of mm-hmm. let me tell you a story about like true love and giants and princesses. Um, I don't think we've talked about musicals as a sick day movie, although probably when Lindsay answered that question, that was exactly <laughs> the answer. Now that, I, now that I say that one out loud. It would be a good choice for sure, because of because along with the fact that you would enjoy it so much and it's so immersive and so bright and and comforting, like as you say, um, it's you know it's also got those musical breaks where it can kind of lull you, you know, where mm-hmm. like where it can just you're you're kind of like letting song and cinema kind of come together in the way that they do. Yep, and I could fall asleep and still know what happens. So I mean, that is a good I mean, sick day. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's always I guess, good. 
yeah, one of the reasons the... why you shouldn't watch something in your queue. Um, no. But uh, but yes, <laughs> it was, as I said, I, I very infrequently rewatch movies, but that is one that I will go back to. I've actually made that mistake several times too. It took me two or three times watching 2001 because the first few times I watched it, I was not feeling well. And that is not <laughs> a movie to, to watch when you're feeling sick no. if you haven't seen it. It's La La Land. I like it. Uh, what is a film, a recent film, the last film, play it as you wish, to leave you speechless? Yeah, this this one I was also like, how should I interpret this? Should I interpret it as like beautiful speechless or like that was really <laughs> strange speechless? Any um, way you want, man. It's your answer. Yeah. So, I mean, I could pull a, a bob here and give you multiple answers, but I won't do that. Um, <laughs> so, so I went with the latter. I went with the like shock factor, okay. um, speechless and decided that the movie would be fresh, which I saw at Sundance, which actually just came out on Hulu in the States and Disney plus here. Okay, um, so like last Tell weekend. People about that. I've been seeing. I've been seeing that that movie bubble up in conversation um, around uh, the twitters and whatnot. Um, tell people what that movie's about um, and uh, why it left you speechless. This is also difficult because I don't want to spoil it. So okay. let's see how I can describe this. Basically, uh, there is a young lady uh, played by uh, Daisy Edgar Jones who has had some really awful dating experiences um, until she meets this very suave, charismatic guy in the produce section of a grocery store. Um, and they end up going out on some dates and things are going really well. And he seems like the dream guy until he's very much not the dream guy. Um, and things take a very horrific, shocking, gruesome turn which wouldn't normally be the type of movie that I would go for, but it's so say. smartly written okay. and still filled with so much humor as well as having an amazing soundtrack. Um, it's the first film that was directed by Mimi Cave, who'd also done like a lot of music videos and stuff. And she chose a cinematographer who had also done like Midsommar and Hereditary. Um, oh, okay. And so they just shot the heck out of it. Hmm. Um, it's it was just so well done. Okay. And Sebastian Stan was just the perfect psychopath. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's as you've not seen him, he will no. not okay. be the Winter Soldier after you watch this film. He will be this guy. Um, I mean, you got to remember. I also think of him doing weird dark humor stuff from the bronze too. And I think, I swear to God, I'm the only person who ever saw that movie. Uh, but I, I see him doing like weird cocky gymnast stuff from that movie. So it's, it's good to, it's good to know that Bucky's got range. Oh, he's, he's got range. And like, there were so many moments in this movie where, and I think it was the first movie I watched in the, in the morning, <laughs> like <laughs> the second day of Sundance where I was just slack jawed and, hmm. It's not a film to watch when you have food. Don't eat. Yeah, I don't want to say anything else okay. besides from that. But it is, yeah, it's definitely shocking. But interesting. Still, just like I can't. I, I really want to rewatch that one. Which again, okay. high praise because I don't rewatch. Right. Uh, last but not least, we don't want you to go anytime soon. But when you got to go, what is a movie quote that you want to be your epitaph? I had a few on my list, but. I think I'm going to go with one that comes out of the mouth of an animated fish, 
which is basically my mantra. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Ah, Not bad. I mean, I don't want it to be too serious. You know, I don't want people to be walking by and, you know, have this dour, like, thing that's not what i'm about i want people to like good. smile you know okay, okay. just just keep swimming i, I mean it's, it's we all funny have to I, yeah i must have said that to myself like a dozen times over the last two years so uh a dozen times a day i'd say over the last two years <laughs> um it's uh it's a that's a good one i mean you know it's it's a really good life motto for sure um i like it uh, like you said, not too dark. Um, not bad. I like it. All right. Very good. Um, thank you very much for answering round three as round four. And now going forward, along with the fact that I got to get you in a little bit more often, because last time you did a full episode, you know, we could move around. We'll, we'll get you back a lot sooner for round five. But we have a movie to talk about. I, I should say that we're going to spoil Cyrano, but I mean, it's an old story. So if you don't know the story of Cyrano de Bergerac, maybe be warned but you know uh, just read a book we're gonna talk about Cyrano it's the new slang right after this Cyrano is directed by Joe Wright. It's written by Erica Schmidt based on her stage show of the same name, which is based on the classic play Cyrano de Bergerac. It stars Peter Dinklage, Haley Bennett, Kelvin Harrison Jr., and Ben Mendelsohn. Cyrano is the classic tale that revolves around the titular Cyrano de Bergerac, Roxanne, and Christian. Cyrano is a warrior poet. He's played by Peter Dinklage. Is as good with a pen as he is with a sword. For most of his life, he's been in love with Roxanne, that's Bennett. However, he has never admitted it because he is a little person and he doesn't see any reality where a beauty like Roxanne would love a man who looks like him. Enter Christian, the handsome, if tongue-tied soldier, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr., who Roxanne falls for at first sight. There's only two problems. The first problem is that Roxanne is a woman who wants poetry in her life and Christian can barely manage a dirty limerick. This problem is solved when Cyrano offers to put his words into the lad's mouth. The second problem that Roxanne is already betrothed to the Duke de Guiche, that's Ben Mendelssohn, and he is not going to be all that crazy about anything said to the woman he considers his, be it from Christian, Cyrano, or anyone else. The story of Cyrano de Bergerac is, at its core, one that wants us to examine the relationship between the proclamation and the proclaimer. The classic tale is, of course, one that hangs its hat on a person falling in love with another's thoughts and words, unaware that they come from yet another person. It's always been an interesting idea, one that makes us question if we are distracted by the pretty packaging and blind to what's happening inside, Or further, if we would even bother to look inside if the packaging wasn't so pretty. It's apt, then, that we have another adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac doing just that, examining the relationship between the proclamation and the proclaimer. So, pop quiz hotshot. What makes this film work? Does it succeed once again because of what it's saying? Or does it succeed because of how it's saying it? Well, there's a question for you. I mean, Peter (laughs) Dinklage is largely what makes this film work for me because he's spectacular in this movie 
the packaging is very beautiful and romantic and grandiose. I mean, Joe Wright knows how to create atmosphere. So how he says what he wants to say in this movie is hard to ignore because it is stunning to look at. I think the message comes through the same way it always does. (laughs) I mean, this is a tale that's been told many times in a few different ways. What comes through stronger, I guess, for me is how is I guess how he was saying it more so than the message itself. Yeah, I'm I'm totally in agreement with you. Um, I I fell hard for this movie. I think I, you know, kind of the way we were talking earlier. I think I fell harder than you um, uh, for this movie, and I fell for. First of all, I fell for it through staging. You know, there, there's a lot of movies that don't want to be movies. There's a lot of movies that just want to be cameras on sets and, you know, keep things safe and not have a sense of scope. They don't want to build a sequence. Well, we're just going to shoot it and shoot it and shoot it and we'll let the editor put it all together. They don't want to take the bull by the horns and say, okay, we're going to stage this and we're going to make it better in post, but we're going to, we're going to map this out so that there's less to do in post we're gonna we're gonna try to capture as much um you know in 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 camera as we can there's been joe wright films that do that once or twice um you know we talked about one on the last episode when we were talking about atonement and Mm -hmm. atonement of course has that incredible oneer that goes through the beach of dunkirk Mm -hmm. this movie um while not as good as atonement because i think atonement is like a modern classic does that repeatedly has time after time after time where it has the balls to build a sequence either in camera or through composition and really wants to use this medium that you fell in love with watching Jurassic Park to its fullest extent to show off word and image and music. Um, The other thing for me, and we'll get to this in a little bit, was the music. Um, And Mm -hmm. I kind of came in primed to enjoy that. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, we haven't talked about this movie yet, but what did you think of Cyrano? It's funny because I was writing my review of it. Well, I wrote it through the week, actually. (laughs) It's been a crazy week, but it was a hard one, a really hard one for me to write because there was a lot of things that I really liked about this movie. The aesthetic of it is, I think, just stunning. You've got some just spectacular costuming, which is its only Oscar nomination. And we should point out that uh, I think it's uh, Jacqueline Duran who did all of Roxanne's costumes has won two Oscars before. So everything about this movie is stunning. I also always applaud when they do live singing in these musicals. I think that it makes things seem more natural. And I get that what some people don't like about musicals is why are people bursting out into song at random times? Yeah. But when I find when they sing live, it feels a bit more organic. In this instance, though, I didn't feel that the vocal talents warranted them singing live. Oh, my. <laughs> Just, <laughs> um, and the music for me wasn't to my liking. Um, I, I know the National, which are the three of the band members were responsible for the music here and I feel that some of the orchestra, like the orchestra pieces, are stunning. The instrumentals are beautiful, but when it comes to the vocal pieces, for me, it misses those musical choruses and hooks. I had nothing when I left the theater that I was humming to, right? Wow. Like I didn't have anything that really stuck with me. I'm much, much warmer 
on this movie than you are. I've seen it twice now. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was just like, I was the kid on Christmas, you know, <laughs> between the words and the look. And um, Joe Wright is an interesting director because there's sometimes where he creates these really, really safe movies. And I'm thinking about stuff like Darkest Hour or, you know, his Peter Pan is just, eh. um, but then there's other times where he creates things that are absolutely stunning. And I'm thinking about stuff like Anna Karenina or even mm-hmm. Hannah, which I think is a really underrated movie. Um, of course, Atonement and Pride of Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not like, he's not a brand. Um, exactly. But the thing is, is that when he's, when he's having an, an on night, he's really, really having an on night. And this is, this for me was him having an on night. Um, I, I like the approach of this movie. I like that it is unashamed to put its heart on its sleeve. Um, I like that it, um, like you said, that it it lets the people sing and it just, it lets the songs play and it, it sometimes it turns them into a a number. Um, Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, when you're watching like the bakers, have little ballets while they're baking their bread and that kind of thing. Or when you're watching the, uh, certainly when you're watching the, the soldiers choreograph their sword work, um, mm-hmm. you know, like those kinds of moments. Loved those parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to the music in a little bit. Um, we got to talk about Peter. Uh, Cause I think, <laughs> I think we can both agree that he, like there's, there's just no matching him in this movie. But, well, he's for me, he's the reason to seek this movie out. Like if you're going to take, yeah, if you're going to take the, because for me, the music wasn't as such a draw. He is the reason why I might watch this movie again. Okay. Um, Because I just found him very charismatic, which is what his character needs to be. Right. I mean, you're, you're supposed to find him really charming and he's so intelligent and he's such a, you know, master of words and romantic. Um, You know, he's, He's got this whole intellectual package there. And I really loved how they like flipped this story around. I mean, Cyrano de Bergerac is supposed to be this guy with a really big nose, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and instead they chose someone with uh, another, I think as they put it in the film, physical uniqueness, um, yeah. shall we say, that uh, I, th- I think worked incredibly well. I did love how they played that actually, because there's a, mo- there's the moment where Sir- one of Cyrano's friends is trying to describe him mm-hmm. and, and he's like, you know, like she won't careful. fall for somebody who is careful, <laughs> physically unique. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I did love that kind of thing. You have to be, have been living under a rock for the last 20 years, not to know what this man is capable of. Um, and what I love about him in this movie, along with the fact that he's, so roguish when he's doing his soldier thing, like the, you know, the, the, the duel that he does on stage when Mm. it's like, you know, a fight with, with sword and with words. Um, What I love about him in this movie is that he is so unashamed to feel like you believe that every one of his words, he means with every fiber of his being. And he puts that all on his face um, every time he's talking 
to Roxanne every time he is talking to Christian. Like he looks like he's about ready to burst into tears at any given moment. Um, <laughs> and that's which which made me feel like I was about ready to burst into tears at any given moment. It, it's it's the kind of story that succeeds or fails with Cyrano. Um, yes. whoever you get to play him and all kinds 100%. of people have played Cyrano for, for better or for worse over the years. And yeah, giving it to Peter Dinklage, he's got that voice, which is one of his best gifts. I think it's quite saying that, you know, before we see Cyrano, we hear him. Mm-hmm. Well, and he had lots of practice with the role, right? Because he did it off Broadway right. um, yes. uh, with Haley Bennett. Uh, as well, um, uh-huh. before this movie was even conceptualized, and I didn't realize that his wife was this was the screenwriter on this film yeah. either. Yeah. Um, so you have to imagine that some of those words actually like mean even more, knowing yeah. that someone that you love actually wrote them. Yeah. Um, but he plays. I mean, for people who have only really maybe seen him in Game of Thrones, which is going to be his most high-profile, you know, piece. Yeah. They're going to see a completely different side to him being this like vulnerable, like romantic kind of man. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, in, in Game of Thrones, he's asked to do a lot of different things, but he's not asked, you're right. He's not asked to be this vulnerable this often. He's played as much more calculating. Um, he does get to let his emotional side out occasionally, but generally speaking, he's, he's a lot more of a, um, He's, he's a lot more about the machinations of of politics in the, in that show. Haley Bennett, I thought, um, did a really good job. She's not, you know, she's 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 not going to draw them in. You know, like I, I can't see a whole lot of people like going to see this as the new Haley Bennett movie. But <laughs> um, you know, as far as what she, you know, like wanting the poetry of these two men. And, you know, kind of, and playing that kind of role. I thought she did really mm-hmm. well. She can certainly sing. Uh, she was pretty- quite, she was quite radiant. Um, actually, yeah. like in those opening sequences where you see her like getting ready and, and everything, she's just really glowing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I will agree vocally. I think she was the best out of everybody. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. <laughs> just every time we come to, I'm, I'm trying to delay the music just a little bit. You're right. Like nobody is going to come away from this thinking, "Wow, I got to go see a concert by any of these people." Um, but I believe they're all more than serviceable. You know, like uh, even I mean, even Ben Mendelsohn isn't. He's only given one number to sing, really, and it's interesting to hear his whole approach to the song it's it's kind of it's a better version of what they get russell crowe to do in les mis (laughs) yeah like i don't want to give anyone the impression that we're like a pierce brosnan and mamma mia situation like it it is not that like that no just saying if you're going to a musical you know you're not seeing west side story where you know everybody in that cast had the voice of an angel, right. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like that. And for some that, that rawness might be exactly what they like about it. For me, as I said, love that they're singing live. I think that adds a genuine touch to it, but there were times when they were off key and I, <laughs> as a singer, I just couldn't <laughs> deal. And sometimes they were off tempo. Like the music was, they, they were not singing with, 
the time. And that okay. kind of drove me a little bonkers. All right, let's do this. <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's get into this now. So the music of this film, um, you are absolutely positively correct. It is at the very least unconventional um, yes. for, for a, for a, for a musical period, certainly for a film musical. Um, it is created by uh, three of the five boys out of the national, the Dresner brothers and Matt Berninger, who is the lead singer. Um, full disclosure. They are one of my favorite bands. So coming in, uh, if anybody doesn't know who the Dresner brothers are, they are the, they worked with Taylor Swift on her last mm-hmm. two records. Um, they, uh, they, they, you would have seen them on stage accepting the Grammy last year. And for all I know, you may see them on stage again this year, accepting the <laughs> Grammy with her. I have no idea. Um, the Nationals music for anybody who's unfamiliar is, um, it, it's a little strange because Matt's voice is very low. Um, kind of like Peter Dinklage's, to be honest. Exactly. <laughs> so when I heard Peter Dinklage singing these songs, I'm like, oh, Peter Dinklage, he's basically doing national covers. Yeah, um, just a little less nuanced, but yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's so much their stuff that I can yeah. hear this as a record. I can yeah. absolutely like a lot of what this what these songs are. I could just hear them as an album without the narrative. Um, and it's funny because I said to Lindsay after I started listening to these songs and started watching this movie, she's like, "You want this soundtrack, don't you?" I said, "Well, yeah." But what I want, I'm never going to get, which is I want the national doing to do these the songs. Soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and I would be interested to hear that, actually. I mean, well, they do one of the numbers. They do the credit song. So you can kind yes. of get an idea. Um, Somebody Desperate is the is the the number at the end. Um, and you can kind of get an idea of where they're coming from. I think what I like about it is how much the music reflects the story. So somebody desperate is an example where there is the piano playing and then there's this string melody going over top of it. And it's two different, it's, it's at two different rhythms. There are not quite two different tempos, but it's two different rhythms, which I think is, gets back to what you were saying of there's times where they're singing and they're not going along with the track. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where I say that's a feature, not a bug because it reflects the whole idea of Cyrano's words going through Christian and not sometimes making it, but not always making it. And sometimes he flubs it and sometimes Cyrano has to sing for him. I found that approach matched the story really, really well. For me, it was also a lot of just melodious like lyrics that never really fit together for me. And I, and I get that's kind of the nationals thing. So again, I think if for some people, this music's going to hit home and for some people it's not Um, for me, the, the biggest, the best piece out of all of them was, was um, wherever I fall. Um, Because that was the only song that really emotionally hit me really hard. And maybe that's because of, stuff that's going on in the world right now but sure that that was the one that hit me the rest of the music i would i could have taken or left and again there wasn't really something i was singing when i left and i kind of want that after i watch a musical 
It's good that we've been friends for six years. It's been a good six <laughs> is years. This, is this it? Is this <laughs> yeah, the yeah, end? Yeah. yeah, I think it, um, it does. <laughs> <laughs> is the national going to break us up now? Come on. <laughs> uh, also, um, I think we should give credit to Karen Besser, who is also Matt Berninger's wife, uh, because she also contributed to the lyrics. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, that that's the thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm all in for the lyrics. Like, the lyrics alone of Heaven is Wherever I Fall would destroy me. And I mean that that song does destroy me both times now. And every time I can tell that that's going to be one of those numbers where it's going to be like, I'm going to need a minute when that's done. Uh, so it's not going to be the kind of song where I like, I watch that scene and then, you know, move on to other things. Um, but even numbers like numbers like madly and numbers like, um, someone to say they all have they all have this longing to them i mean maybe maybe that's the thing is they're almost all cut from the same emotional cloth Mm -hmm. you know like that's where i can see you saying that there's not a whole lot of ups and downs like you don't have the the i wanna song and you don't have the dreaming song and those kinds of things that are normally in a in a musical like west side story um i i was here for it is i guess is my thing I think the movie to me just felt a bit tonally dissonant in that way because th- these songs are all very intimate yeah. and small songs. And I, I wish most of them are, are solos or duets. There's, yeah. there's very few with the uh, exception of uh, someone to say where they did like a bit more of a chorus to it. But <clears throat> I wish I'd seen it on stage because mm-hmm. I think this type of music lends itself to that intimacy. Sure. And, when Joe Wright is in the background with these big, beautiful Sicilian sets <laughs> where he's shot in Sicily and like having these big grandiose costumes and everything, I felt like some of the intimacy of the music got lost and maybe that's where it lost me. Huh. I mean, I see what you're saying. I do. I, I think for me, I was, I was thinking about like, and maybe this is also why it was hitting me so hard I was thinking about moments where I'm like out in the world with my big headphones on and I'm listening to slower songs and I'm moving around very crowded areas, but I'm just off in my own little cocoon working through everybody else in their cocoons. So I think I missed that. Um, Like I I missed that feeling and seeing this movie kind of remember reminded me again, you raise a really, really good point. Like I'm coming away from this humming, but it's because I'm walking in predisposed. Um, and, and I walk away humming these kinds of songs often because I like their band. But nobody is going to come away from this singing America. Nobody is going to come away from this singing even just something like You Will Be Found. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's going to come away from, from this like humming a chorus, even though I did. Um, yeah. Was it, <laughs> yeah, this is not Pasek and Paul. Like, the, like you are not going to get no, that. I mean, like, and I mean, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's okay. I think that's, but yeah, it is okay. And I think, but that's, I think that's what's interests me is most of the musicals, we got a lot of them mm-hmm. over the last year and change. We got a yeah, lot of great. musicals all of a sudden. <laughs> and they were, it was absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It was, it was a wonderful time. Um, but we got Pasek and Paul and we got mm-hmm. Sondheim and we got um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then twice. we got him and we again. we got Jonathan Larson. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we got him again. Yeah. And we got Jonathan yeah. Larson. So, you know, we got all of these 
very classical approaches to musicals. Um, so I do enjoy that Cyrano went off in this other direction. Like it could have, it could have got anybody to do this. Um, I do enjoy that it went off into this other direction, not just to stage its Broadway version or its off Broadway version, depending on the size of the theater, but to turn that into this, this film adaptation. I like that. It's something a little different with the music. Sure. And they, and they took risks and they weren't afraid to do that. And some of them hit and some of them didn't for me, obviously you hit more than (laughs) for me. Um, it, but and I totally give them credit for that. It just I think I think the music will be a bit divisive. Possibly, probably. I mean, it, it is here, so you know, quite likely. We may have already touched on it, but I, I, I have a hunch. Was there a highlight for you in this in this movie? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, when someone from another movie that I like that I'll talk about later shows up. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about the number that I mentioned earlier. Heaven is wherever I fall. It sort of comes out of nowhere um, in, in terms of like everything that the film has done up until that point um, has been small, has been intimate, um, has been very wistful in a romantic way. And then the film in this moment of cold darkness turns into other kinds of love and builds and builds and builds. Was it just the song or was it the way it was staged? Was it? It was the song. Again, I think, you know, it's, it's the song of soldiers sending their last wishes home um, in these letters. Yeah. It's preceded Um, by the line, collect the letters. Yeah. uh, Which I found very moving. It was completely different than anything you'd seen thus far. Not even just from the sound of the music. Um, but also in in the staging, but it stood out to me uh, because of the people that were in it. But <laughs> um, which for me was like a big surprise, and and I liked that. But um, but that's just what I found the most moving out of the whole thing. Well, I mean, that was certainly a highlight for me. But another highlight for me, um, one of one of the bigger numbers in the film from a staging perspective was the number every letter. Uh, when when things are starting to pick up between Christian and uh, Roxanne, and it just becomes this, <laughs> it becomes this like fevered courtship, all spurred on by words. And as writers, mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's the kind of thing that it's like crack to us. It's like it's kind of like catnip. Like they're like you know you can you can have an effect with your words if they're really good. <laughs> um, and it turns into this just hyper, like almost erotic setting of pages, like to the point where she's like, I, I, I put the, the little gif on Twitter of her walking through this salon where these pages are swirling in the wind mm-hmm. and she's like walking through a lace curtain. And I'm like, how do you see something like that and not just feel your jaw drop? Yeah, those that scene was was beautiful and actually reminded me of Adele's music video <laughs> where she's sitting there with all the pages like blowing around her. That um, Hello, I think is that one? No, that was her recent one. Um oh, she easy got, on oh, me. Okay. okay. That, I'll I'll, that, I'll have to I'll have to That look was her for first one first one off uh, the new album. 
Uh, oh, okay. I'll look for yeah. that video. I'll include that video in the show notes. Did she work with Xavier Dolan again? Because I know that yeah. they were... Uh, okay, okay. He's making little short musical films again. That's what I want a musical sequence to be. You're right. People don't break out into song naturally. It's obviously fantasy. So play up the damn fantasy and do shit like this. You know, as much as I enjoy locking off the camera and knowing that they're singing live and going through it, I also want them to move. And I also want their fantasy to spread its arms out into the world that they happen to be in. So yeah, swirl the pages around, let the room, you know, do what the room's going to do. Is this also the song? And I have to ask this because again, they didn't stick with me. So I don't remember, but is this, <laughs> is this also the one where they're the trio and you see the, the three of them on screen and they're singing all at the same time? Correct. Yes. Cause this is the time when in the film I was like, Oh, Maybe this is turning around for me. Ah. And then... And then no. And then it didn't. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like not, not to belabor the point that I like music that you don't. <laughs> um, but I think one of the Which is I, okay. I know. I know. I'm not, you know, I'm not being that guy. Um, one of the things that I actually like about Peter Dinklage singing in these songs is the unconventional way that his voice doesn't often carry over the melody that it accompany like the melody is doing the, the accompaniment is and the arrangement is doing something else you know his longing is is bubbling under the surface while the strings and the guitars and the pianos you know swirl above him kind of giving this idea of the emotion that's swirling up around him while he's grounded here and can't actually chase it down. So, you know, even, even in that, in that trio, like he's usually singing, he's not singing the melody part. So I love that they're singing the melody part and he's singing the harmony part. Oh, I just love it so much. Um, <laughs> I will admit. So like, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, that that like, did See, it for it's me. like your yeah. it's like your La La Land. Like that's how, that's yeah, how okay. I feel All about right. La La Land. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Um, except I like La La Land too, and that's, that's <laughs> where we're going different. Here. The one thing I will say about this movie that I, I think doesn't work in its favor, even though I love the holy shit out of it, is the film does not do right by De Guiche. Um, so, how well do you know the story? Um, not terribly well, but okay. I mean, I think. I think Mendelssohn was <laughs> very repulsive and good in the oh, role yeah. that he had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Like what, what the movie gives Mendelssohn and de Guiche to do Mendelssohn and de Guiche do for sure. The thing is that de Guiche is not a mustache twirling villain in the classical way. Like he's got, he's got more to do that this movie just decided to take away from him. He was last time we see de Guiche, de Guiche sends the garrison of soldiers off to the front um, mm-hmm. in part because he's got to send someone. And in part because he's pissed off at Cyrano and Christian and just, he's like, you know, screw it. You're going to the front. Cause I yeah. can the, in the play there's, there's more de Guiche de Guiche one goes to the front to connect with them. And they all kind of respect the fact that a nobleman put himself into harm's way, even though, you know, not really harm's way. Um, and de Guiche also has a moment with um, Cyrano when he comes back home. So mm-hmm. by cutting that out, um, I mean, this movie's long. 
not long, mm-hmm. long, but this movie's got shit to do. So it's got to make some sacrifices along the way. Yeah. But by, by, tr- by pruning back De Guiche in his final moments, I think it doesn't, first of all, it doesn't close his loop. And in a no, moralistic, yeah, in a moralistic way, it doesn't give him any kind of redemption. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess cinematically it's a lot easier to have the mustache twirling villain. Um, yeah role right it's it's a lot easier to just explain his behaviors and that because he's a bad guy and we're just going to understand that he's a bad guy um and i get that you wouldn't necessarily like if you're wanting to trim some fat from your script i don't need i i I didn't feel like i was missing that part of a story um from him i i I didn't need him to be redeemed i kind of just forgot about him (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but i mean what i i think what i love about ben mendelsohn and i do love by the way that we're on this neat little uh we're on this neat little sequence of of podcasts where we talked about uh, uh, you know, a Brie Larson movie into another Brie Larson movie with Ben right? Mendelsohn into another with Ben, ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a good connection. It's a, it's a good, our next, our next <laughs> movie is going to have to start Peter Dinklage. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what I love about Ben Mendelsohn is the way he can do so many things, right? He's, he's actually kind of an underrated actor. He's, he's kind mm-hmm. of borderline at that guy for a lot of people. We know who he is because we're stupid, nerdy fans. Um, but I, what I love about him is I love, how much complexity he can bring to a role. And I think, you know, why you could cast any big Ophi brute as De Guiche, if that's all you want, if you want somebody to twirl their mustache, why do you bring in somebody who's got the complexity of Ben Mendelsohn if you don't want complexity out of De Guiche? No, I mean, that's, that's a fair comment. I mean, I, I think, and maybe there was a lot more there. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we don't know what ended up getting edited <laughs> out of this film. I'm pretty sure there's more but, geesh in, in Erica's play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I'm pretty sure in the, in the stage version, there's more and they probably, you're right. They probably just decided that for the film version, they needed to keep it at a certain length because film goers and theater goers have different attention spans. Yeah. And I mean, I think as I, like for the time he was on screen, he was, uh, he was great. It took me like, just a couple minutes at the beginning, I was like, who is that? And then I was like, oh, right. So I'm kind of used to seeing you last, I guess, under a bunch of makeup in Captain Marvel. <laughs> so I was, I was going more by the voice than anything else. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. The guy from, it's, it's the guy from The Outsider. I keep wanting to call it The Others, but it was The Outsider. Wow. Jason Bateman directed, you know, someone that I probably didn't know the name of, you know, five years ago. All of a sudden I've seen all these like awesome things that he's done. So yeah, maybe we can keep the streak going. It doesn't seem hard. It seems like everyone wants Ben Mendelsohn in movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I aside from obviously, I, I love him in Captain Marvel. Um, if anybody has never seen, he's amazing in a in another movie directed by uh, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck called Mississippi Grind with your with uh, one of your boyfriends, Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> he's his you know his 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 breakthrough was the film version of animal kingdom i love him so much I, I would see just about anything he's in so i also by the way just enjoy saying the words de Guiche. so there's there's that um <laughs> in terms of why i wanted more de Guiche. at the end of the day like you know regardless of if you're kind of cooler on it than, than like you are or if you're in love with it like i am the one thing that you got to admire is 
this is a film that's just completely unafraid to feel. You know, this is not a film that wants to play it cool. This is not a film that wants to be dark and brooding and and mysterious. This is a film that says, you know what, if you if you are in love, if you are sad, if you are lonely, if you are longing, just bloody own it and declare it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't want to be uh, saying at the end that you loved pride more than anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I, I you know I, I care about this movie a little bit more than you do, but um, you know we both certainly enjoy this movie on various levels. Um, we end every matinee cast with um, a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could take away from this movie and keep you would uh hillary butler what would be your souvenir from cyrano so i'm glad you mentioned it a little bit earlier because i loved the scene of the bakery um Mm. that is one sexy bakery number one yeah yes Um, it is (laughs) but it also has some little amazing like writing nooks and crannies that i could really just picture myself holding up in if he wants to continue bringing me bread um, that the sexy people have made and I could get some good writing done. So I think that I could really settle in to the bakery I think, what I, I think what I like most about that is like, there are levels to the nooks and crannies too, right? Like there's, there's the one table that's just kind of off to the side in the, in the kitchen. And then there's this courtyard where you can sit yeah. down and it's like, no, no, actually we have this cell over yeah. here. It's like, Perfect. Yeah. Yes. I can smell the bread. I can get the daylight. I like that. I liked yeah. that cell. You know, I had, yeah. had some water over here. You're going to smell yeah. the bread. I feel like it would just be the perfect writing nook. I feel like I want to go down. there. Like, you know, that that's a, you know, that that's an actual place. Oh, in Sicily. In some, yeah. yeah. In Sicily, yeah. like where they shot, like the, you're definitely finding that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if the bakery would be as sexy, but you know, it's, it's the, the place is there. I'm they're Italians, man. <laughs> the, 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 everything they do is sexy. Um, I want a letter from Cyrano. That's, that's my souvenir is I want like, cause they're not, we only get like, slivers of them we mm-hmm. get the, we get we get stanzas and we get sentences i want a whole letter from cyrano to bergerac because that man can write and that man can put pure human love and desire into sentences and that would just absolutely kill me so i want one of them in the movie they're all really beautiful and tactile too like they got like the seals on them and they're small and they're the kind of letters where the envelope is also the letter um yeah i want a letter from cyrano that's my that's my souvenir we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars uh i kind of think people could see how this is going (laughs) hillary butler what do you give cyrano on a scale of one to four this is hard. I'm going, uh, I'm, I've been waffling. You might have made me round up. Ooh. I'll go three out of four. Okay. I was going to say two and a half, but I'll go three because you made some good points. Okay. <laughs> I am, I want to be a four. My heart says a four. Um, cause my heart bursts open every time I see this movie, this movie, you know, really and truly this movie was just made for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it really truly was. But, um, I, upon thinking about it, having this conversation upon thinking about it, watching the second time, I am a little bit flummoxed by that last little, um, non treatment of Degish and leaving that thread open so i'm gonna go three and a half uh, like a three and a half like so close to four if so, it has like if the, the, the director's cut it's of this a high movie, three it's and gonna, a half oh yeah yeah, yeah. it's like three and three quarters the director's <laughs> cut of this movie that's got one more scene where they they tie off the geese 
Mwah! masterpiece. But this movie, three and a half, <laughs> and a very affectionate three and a half. Um, Hillary gives it a begrudging three. Um, hey, maybe yeah. you're maybe, maybe you a two point seven five. Maybe you think that this movie is hot garbage. Maybe you think this movie is a modern masterpiece. Let us know. Um, Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter where I am matinee underscore ca or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Cyrano? It's in theaters now. It's on demand if you don't want to get out to the theater. Um, and uh, let us know what you think of Joe Wright's new film, uh, the Nationals music, and uh, all the performances in between. We are going to take a very quick break here on the Matinee cast, but come on back. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side right after this. We are back. She is Dr. Hillary Butler. I am Ryan McNeil. No doctor. Just want to, I want some sort of a suffix at some point, you know, like, can I be Ryan McNeil GG, like Ryan McNeil good guy? Um, 100%. Sure. Change, we, change approved. Gotcha. It's matinee <laughs> cast 280. We've been talking about Cyrano, uh, the new film by Joe Wright, music by The National. Uh, and this is the other side. This is the moment where we go further down the spiral, suggest some um, additional reading, some further viewing, uh, places you could go after Cyrano if you love the holy shit out of it like I did, or you were just kind of eh, on it like Hillary was. Miss um, Butler, why don't you get us started? Uh, what is one of the first films you think people could go on to after Cyrano for any rhyme or reason. So of all of the versions of Cyrano that have been told, how can you not want to watch Roxanne after you watch Cyrano's bleak, sad ending? (laughs) Just as a bit of a palate cleanser. Um, Good old 1987 film, lots of saxophone and synthesizer. Um, Even some good old sound effects uh, for, you know, good measure. It is a very 80s film, (laughs) I would say, that Steve Martin also wrote um, and uh, also starring Daryl Hannah, who is very charming um, in this movie, I will say, where he plays uh, CD, um, (laughs) as he's known in the film, uh, with uh, a kind of cleverly hidden elongated nose um, in the first few minutes of the movie uh, where he even is a sword master, except he plays the sword with the tennis racket and some people that inexplicably have ski equipment in the middle of summer. But you know, (laughs) it's, uh, it it definitely is a very different at that time, modern telling it's definitely not modern anymore, but um, it was just nice to kind of see a comedic, change it and also because i watched them really close together because thankfully roxanne was on tv this week some of the lines are like directly (laughs) from uh cyrano and obviously the play was uh you know it was just clever to see a flipped version of this movie i think you know first of all the uh the christian part in this movie his uh his name is chris Played mm-hmm. by uh, Rick Rossovich, Slider from Top Gun, plays the Christian part in Roxanne. They play up the humor more. There's the 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 one thing that hundred oh, percent. The one thing I will admit in the in uh, about Cyrano is with his self deprecation coming in that duel scene. You you lose the power and the and the the joy 
of that mm-hmm. scene of Cyrano's self mockery and every other production of Cyrano I've ever seen that that moment where Cyrano just basically is like I've heard this one and I've heard this one and I've heard this <laughs> one so if you're gonna come at me you better come at me with something better because I've heard them all and and I'm gonna recite them because I don't give a shit anymore. Um, hearing Steve Martin do those is just <laughs> a joy. That was that was the highlight of the movie for me when he has to do these twenty off the cuff like riffs just yeah. about his nose and he does it almost like stand up yeah. right he's in this bar or restaurant whatever and everybody then laughs with him not at him yep. and he manages to flip everybody that that was the definite highlight of the movie for sure it's funny actually you're uh, you're mentioning how that was on tv this week and uh uh Lindsay actually happened to be watching it at the same time i was watching cyrano and so she's like were we just watching two different versions of the same movie like, <laughs> we absolutely were well, let's continue with your theme. And um, this, for me, is one of my favorite versions of Cyrano, for sure, um, from just two years ago. And people may have lost sight of it and you know, when the world started going on fire and whatnot. But a film, um, it's on Netflix. Um, people can find it right in your, your devices. Directed by Alice Wu. Did you see the half of it? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So yet another adaptation of Cyrano, um, where two people are in love with the same person and one of them just happens to be feeding the other one the words. The twist in this case not being any kind of deformity or special physical... Uniqueness. Uniqueness, thank you, of, <laughs> uh, of Cyrano. The fact that Cyrano in this one is is a girl. Um, Leah Lewis plays Ellie Chu, this uh, Chinese-American straight-A student in this really, really rural um, town called Squamish, and how she has feelings for this really talented, bright uh girl in her class but is just completely unable to express those except through the this dopey guy who happens to also <laughs> like the girl and so she ends up feeding her the lines um the half of it i adore i like that movie dropped that movie dropped right at the right time like that movie dropped may 1st of 2020 so after we'd all been locked in our homes for like at that point like you know we thought we were all going home for like a few weeks that Mm -hmm. was kind of the moment where it was like oh shit this is this is bad right in comes the half of it and it just lifted me so damn much um i remember being like charmed by this film because i like netflix has had like a string of you know young adult romance movies i guess they do but sometimes this one's a bit deeper yeah, yeah, yeah. This one's you know, a bit deeper. It is. And it's just it's so um it's so charming. It's really honest. Uh it's really, really sweet and not at all um it, it like it never plays down, it never plays dumb. Um and it really quickly became one of my favorite adaptations of the rocks of the, the Cyrano story. It came at a really good time, but you know what? I should revisit it now. Um with this yeah. newfound Cyrano. You know, it. it would knowledge. make an amazing double feature. Um, all right, you got more. What's another movie that you think people should play as the other side to Cyrano? Uh, I'm going to 2005 
to Joe Wright's directorial feature debut, which was Pride and Prejudice, which earned Keira Knightley an Oscar nomination. Um, because I feel like Roxanne and Elizabeth Bennett have a lot in common. At the beginning of Cyrano, Roxanne is told um, what children need love, adults need money. Yeah. Um, that she. That's a great line. Yeah. That she is to be basically pushed um, slash potentially forced to marry this man, de Guiche, as you like to say, um, <laughs> for stature and for dollar. Um, similarly, how Elizabeth Bennett is really, the family is trying to push her to marry for stature and for dollar. Um, and both of them want more. Um, and so I think that you could find a lot of um, similarities and differences in how they both deal with that. And plus, it's also a beautiful movie. <laughs> it is a stunning movie. Um, I know that, um, once again, this is like, Lindsay is all about Pride and Prejudice in, in all of its forms. And I know this one actually gives her her fits because there's a lot of things about it that she loves. Um, but, it, you know, number one, it can never take the number one spot over the BBC version with Colin no. Firth because... No, because Colin Firth. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. But what I, I, I mean, what I, one of the things I love about this movie is the cast just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, we didn't know who a lot of these people were at the time. Um, Matthew McFadden, who everybody probably now knows as Tom on Succession, um, Donald Sutherland, of course, Rosamund Pike, Carrie Mulligan, Jenna Malone. Uh, you know, nobody yet knew who um, Carrie Mulligan even was. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the Bennett sister casting alone is worth seeing this movie because it's just a friggin' murderer's row of young actresses. Looks handsome as can be. Matthew McFadden plays a fantastic Mr. Darcy. Oh, the, you know, the, the, the scene that comes up and if people look around Twitter, they'll find it. Um, the, the, the One of the great moments in that movie is when uh, Mr. Darcy helps Elizabeth Bennett into a carriage. And as he's walking away, like he just took her hand to help her into the carriage because it was just the thing to do. Of course, this is that era of England and touching between men and women just was not really a thing, which is why they danced. So when he's walking away, you see him like flex his hand as if like, you know, he's just had like electric current run through it and it's so damn hot. Uh, so <laughs> it's that, that alone is reason why that movie is fantastic. Even if, you know, people may argue about Kira Knightley being a great Elizabeth Bennett or a bad one. That scene is undeniably hot. Um, well, my second other side, I got hung up with the words. I got hung up with the, um, with the writing and the letters and, and the poetry. And I wanted another film that is deeply devoted to words and letters and poetry. Um, and I had on the brain, uh, a recent podcast that I did with somebody else that I did with my friend Jim Laskowski in Chicago, where myself and Mariah Gates talked about the entire filmography of Jane Campion. Um, mm-hmm. It's about as long as you think it would be with us <laughs> talking about Jane Campion. But I got to thinking about Bright Star. Have you seen that? I haven't. You know, it's been on my list for like eons. <laughs> I don't know why I haven't flicked it on yet. It's, I mean, it, 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 doesn't make the rounds on demand in Canada quite as much, but you, if you want to throw money at it, um, you can rent it off of iTunes and actually not even all that much. I think you can rent it for like six bucks. 
so absurdly handsome. Like this movie is just shot within an inch of its life. A um, lot more stuff like what you see in Cyrano with like the dusty rooms and the lavish colors and mm-hmm. all of the um, the analog porn, you know, <laughs> of, of ink on parchment. Um, and the, the words are all John Keats and Fanny Braun. Everything that's expressed is expressed like from the tips of the toes of the characters. And, you know, even just at one point, he asks her to wish him good night. And she slips a note under the door. That's just this tiny little like post-it note that's folded up into this little like origami envelope. And when he opens it up, it just reads good night. And I just, ah, just like so many things like that are just so (laughs) so beautiful in this movie. And it was Campion's last movie for a long time. It was Campion's Mm -hmm. last movie until she did the power of the dog. So um, for a while, it was just kind of her last like letter to us for over 10 years. It's gorgeous. Uh, it's kind of movie that if it wasn't so beautifully wordy, you could watch it on mute. But to do that would be a disservice because the words are fantastic. Yeah, Bright Star. If people haven't seen that movie, it is like deeply underrated. I, for, I feel for people who don't know you as well uh, that uh, Ryan has beautiful penmanship. And uh, that if he writes you a note or a letter or a card, it looks exquisite. So like the fact that you're drawn to movies where there's these like exquisite letters doesn't surprise me <laughs> i mean they, they make me look all. like they, they make mine look like chicken scratch too i come away <laughs> from movies like this and i'm like oh dear god what's wrong with me little women the the, the greta mm-hmm. gerwig little women whoever's doing the writing in little women that makes me look like i'm like a they, they make me look bad is what they do in little women's but i still love it um okay you've got one more other side that you think people could go on to after um I do. yeah, I do. And you you may uh, have guessed what it is already, but it is another unconventional musical that I think does intimacy much better than Cyrano does. Oh my. And that is Once. Um, oh, okay, okay. With, right. uh, with uh, you know, Glenn Hansard in it. I don't know why I'd bring him up. Um, and I am probably going to mispronounce, and I'm very sorry, uh, the young lady who Marquette Erglova. But yeah, basically just like about a busker in Dublin who kind of runs into this young flower seller who's, you know, intrigued by his music and they form a bond over music and learn about each other's lives and kind of fall for one another. And there's this very bittersweet moment at the end that proves you don't have to have a conventional Hollywood ending to like have the perfect ending. Um, to a movie but I feel like the music in this movie is more to my taste but I also feel like it's just a smaller thing if you're going to have these small intimate lyrics this movie works really well um, to kind of provide those a good space so and the stage musical is also excellent I should say it is Um, I was going to say a few interesting things um, going on all at once Um, so number one I think it's really interesting that what we have with this coupling of Once and Cyrano is we have Once being the film that was turned into the musical, and mm-hmm. with Cyrano, we have the musical that was turned into the film. <laughs> yeah. That's thing number one that I think is really cool. Thing number two is the way that Once is almost, almost not a musical. 
Once is almost a film where they just happen to sing. Mm -hmm. Except what brings it over the line is a song called If You Want Me that Marquetta sings. Oh, uh, I mean, the other thing that I love about that movie, and I adore that movie, um, is that the busker and the flower girl, they actually don't have names. Mm-hmm. In the cast, they are officially- Guy and girl. Him, him, guy and girl, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she, during If You Want Me, she sings her emotion. She is singing her feelings uh, aloud. It is the only time in the movie where she is singing- within context of the scene and not playing a song, her emotions towards people of her past and people of her present. That is Mm -hmm. what sends it over the line into an actual musical and not just something like Purple Rain where they happen to sing. Thing number two. Thing number three, what will always endear me to Once is Once is the very first film that I ever wrote about um, on the matinee and its predecessor. My very, very first review was once. Um, I went back and revisited it uh, longer for another, like, I think I was on like something like my 1000th post or something like that, but it was like some sort of occasion mm-hmm. that I wanted to mark. And to mark it, I went back and wrote about once again um, better because <laughs> I was a better writer <laughs> after doing it for a few years and sure. longer. Um, but I will always remember once being the reason why I started writing about films. Um, you're right. It's a, it's a magnificent film. The, the, the amazing thing about the pairing is it's a juxtaposition because once it's just so friggin' small once mm-hmm. is just all these little corners of Dublin, you know, like these small kitchens and these small shops and these narrow streets um, once in a, like I think once in the movie we really get out and let the oxygen into it um, when they're taking the drive, but um, but by and large it's just it's such a small movie. Um, I think on uh, on Monday when this episode goes up, I've got a T-shirt that I got when I saw the swell season um, that's got Glenn and Marquette on the motorcycle. Nice. So I think I'm gonna have to wear that on Monday when this episode goes up in honor. And we should say that like John Carney, who like directed that movie has also done two like excellent, like musical movies since then with Sing yeah. street and begin again. So if you haven't checked those out. Yeah. And it's, keep, it's, keep watching him. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> John Carney was the showrunner for modern love on Amazon. Prime. Oh, oh yes. And I love that series. Yeah. That, oh, I haven't watched the second iteration of it, but the, no, the first neither. one was almost, perfect and i don't want to <laughs> watch the second one love that film love john carney um great music in that one that's that's that is probably my favorite yeah. film soundtrack um yeah and and would make a really really interesting pairing with cyrano and and unconventional music good call look at look at bring in the great films for the other side man holy crap i tried i tried good work you did amazing thank you so much that is episode 280 of the matinee cast and i'm so thankful that hillary was able to stop by come on back on monday march 28th for episode 281 not sure what we're going to talk about just yet we might talk about turning red on the new pixar movie on disney plus uh if you have suggestions 
please send them through. We're still in this weird time for films, so planning episodes is a little tricky. Um, Hillary's writing, of course, can be found at Live for Film. Do you have anything coming up? Um, my Cyrano review will probably be up next week. And also, uh, there's a new Netflix film coming out. But it's embargo till next Friday, so you'll just have to go to the uh, website and then check it out. <laughs> and if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, at Pet Doc Hill. Very cool. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in the usual places, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Pocket Cast, Apple, Blueberry, and some other places like TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Cyrano and why I'm right and Hillary's wrong can be left in the comment <laughs> section of the site. Just had to get that in there. Do you think I was getting soft in my old age, did you? You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca on Twitter. It's okay. Nobody's ever listening this far, so it's fine. <laughs> on, Let's on, test that theory. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And there's always Twitter, matinee underscore CA. Any final thoughts, Ms. Butler? I mean, no one's listening. You just already said it. So I don't know why I should have one. <laughs> Prove me wrong, people. I will give $5 to the first person who tells me they listened this far and who's not named Hillary. $5 for Hillary. I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. I should have told her instead I told her mother. I gave her chocolates. I bought a ring. But I never told her anything But I can see her in every detail now Turning in my mind I barely knew that girl at all But I will love her to the end of time So take this letter to my girl Tell her that I saw the whole world Say that right before I fell I said her name out loud Isabel Tell her not to cry at all Heaven is wherever I fall